Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Hey guys, welcome back. Part two. Part two. Uh, we're continuing this conversation on subjectivity and objectivity. Uh, we ended the last episode talking about taste and like what what exactly that means, if, if it adds something to the situation, if it doesn't. And something related to that that I was thinking is like, okay, let's say me and you, let's assume, mm-hmm. and maybe you even challenge that, but let's assume we have the same exact qualitative experience when we eat both chocolate and vanilla, but then we have different answers in terms of preference. What does that mean? Mm. Like what, what, what causes that? Well, first of all, is that even possible? Right. right? That's already, you can challenge and say like, well, maybe that's not the case. Maybe we're having totally different sensations, which is why you like one and not the other. But if, if there is the same sensation, what would that mean? And we have different responses to it. Uh, is it associations? It might be, right? There are some which goes in the direction of, again, once more, the niche where this objective thing is is very, very small. Mm-hmm. Because if things like association or previous experience or simply the fact that we can occupy the same space at the same time mm-hmm. leads to different responses to the same stimuli, right? To mm-hmm. make it, to, to put it uh, in simple terms, then we're in trouble because then everything is muddled, right? Everything is, mm-hmm. everything can be, anything can be obscured by all sorts of history, we can say, that a specific mm-hmm. subject might have. And the specific take that somebody has within the intersubjective realm than is is itself colored yeah yeah and i mean i think i would say you can't get around that mm-hmm. i think that's definitely true at least to an extent because even in you know like the phenomenological literature which we're going to do something on that at some point in the future there's this idea that the presentation of the object is always you know in relation to certain things such as the past uh anticipation about the future Right, how it, it looks in relation to all these different layers. And so the object ultimately is, you know, the subject object. The object as constituted by a subject who in part is part of a large intersubjective group, but in part has this private thing about her. So it is impossible to have a pure objective experience. In the sense that we describe. Yeah, no, of, course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's weird with these taste. So taste, right? Like mm-hmm. there's literally taste and then there's figurative taste. So on the literal taste thing, actually on both, you wonder if there are some elements of this that are objective mm. to taste, right? Because there's definitely the objective facts like upon which the aesthetic judgment is based. So let's say you really like some band or some guitarist. Mm-hmm. And I... 
and I don't particularly like the guitarist, but we can both say, hey, but that guy is really talented. Yeah. Right? So that's the objective part. He has these skills. He's doing certain techniques. We could be like, look, listen to this this timestamp of this thing, what he's doing. But the part when we say, I like it or dislike it, maybe gets iffy. But are there some things that you think are objective, shared taste things? Uh Again, as you said, if we are if we are excluding the, the the correspondence between what somebody does and the technique that we have established to be a good technique, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we take that away, um, well, the Greeks will tell you that everything that's orderly and proportioned, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we all like because this is just the way we work, the way we function, we can say, We right? talked about that in the last one, right? Yes. You're drawn to it. Exactly. Um, I'm wondering, though, if... That is not just familiarity, right? Mm. If what we like is what we're familiar with, or maybe the opposite of it, what we like is what breaks the rules sometimes. That's and even, an interesting point. And even that could be like, depending on your personal history, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if if that is what it is. It is this concept of being familiar with something or being completely surprised that kind of draws drives us towards liking something or or Mm -hmm. disliking something because that will make sense right and maybe you can see that there are some people that are drawn towards a specific you know genre of music right Mm -hmm. some people again i'm using just uh things that i don't even know that well but uh, some people say are drawn towards country music right because Mm -hmm. there is a specific familiarity with the genre where everybody follows not the same course necessarily but a specific tempo a specific theme, you know what to expect. You have it there. There is this, again, it's cozy, right? It is mm-hmm. home, right? It stays the same. And some people instead are more drawn towards more experimental, dissonant right. stuff, right? right? Because they like to be surprised and they value surprise rather than familiarity, right? Mm-hmm. In that aspect of their life. And I think that this might be the dichotomy that's there rather than uh, than anything else. Now, how does that work within the subjectivity stuff? Mm-hmm. And how do we... Um, I think that that is the, pure, the the essence of subjectivity, right? Mm. That comes with your history uh, rather than, than anything else. Because I guess I'm, I'm thinking, you know, how how big is the difference between like and saying that something's better? Right, because hear, yeah. there are certain things that you say it's better, and you're you're not at all merely expressing like an arbitrary preference. And then there are certain things that you are, right? So if I say, oh, you know, again, sushi's better than pizza, that's like an iffy one, right? But if I say, because this is something that was always interesting to me, in um, like as an undergrad when I was doing music and I was still inter- like first getting into philosophy is that I would have these conversations about music and people would want to make it like a totally relativistic thing. Okay. And I was very much against that even back then. Um, But I went back and forth. But ultimately, like, you know, people would be arguing, I think, kind of just for the sake of argument where where I'd be like, yeah, but you can't really claim honestly that i don't know justin bieber is better than mozart they'd be like 
well, yeah, you can, because what if I like that better? And it was all stuff. And I'm like, but that's a disingenuous. So that kind of thing. Okay. I think that, so different things there. I'm assuming that some of those things are subjective, meaning that there might be, I'm sure if yes, my daughter, she's eight, right? <laughs> She'd rather listen to Justin Bieber yes, than yes. Mozart. And she will tell you in her way um, that actually Justin Bieber makes her feel better, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is the subjective aspect of it. There is the preference that's there. Um, and therefore, from her perspective, Justin Bieber is better than Mozart, right? It's mm -hmm. better than Mozart in that specific moment. Is there a way in which we can establish that Mozart is better than Justin Bieber regardless uh, I don't know. I think that we appreciate a specific complexity that comes with Mozart, right? Mm -hmm. There are more moving parts than a Justin Bieber song. Uh, I think that we appreciate the fact that he has, how can we say, gone through time and we still listen to it, which mm -hmm. adds value. It's like innovation. Stuff. It's craftsmanship. Exactly. And there is the history behind it. And then there is the intersubjective um, aspect that we have added to this, right? In our circle, mm -hmm. uh, in the circle, in the circle of adults, we have established that, well, classical music has more, it's has more value than 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 yeah. Bieber, right? Yeah. Uh, we have established that. Now, can we review this? Sure, of course. Uh, this happens throughout centuries, right? things that were valued first they're not valued anymore um but i don't know i don't know what to, i want to say that mozart is better than beaver I, <laughs> I just i just don't know i just don't know if if we can because that's part of that feedback that I was mentioning mm. uh the 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 last last episode and i guess that the issue here is what do we mean by better? Right. Well, it's always the issue, right? What, what, what do, do we mean by X? Yes. What do we, because if... And I know we're trying to make a comparison, right? So mm -hmm. it's better in comparison to that. But what does that mean? Does it mean that it makes me feel better? Does it mean that it is... Because I, I, again, I have our time saying this objectively. Right. Well, I think it, it means... The, the, the difficulty is, do you mean it is better music? Or do you mean that it you enjoy it more exactly i think that's the distinction um and the the, the last thing i'll say about this because you know but just let me ask you something yeah. so can we make an example that's not music right where you can say that saying that something is better mm -hmm. actually carries a weight that is not just preferential right film i'm not i'm thinking outside the the Non-aesthetic? Non-aesthetic, right? Is there some, so I can say, can I say that this, my water is better than your water? And what does that mean, right? Hmm. What does it mean when we say that one, uh, I don't know, one medicine is better than the other? Then, again, stick with things that people are having in their mind right now. Yes. What does it mean when people say, oh, the Pfizer vaccine is better than the AstraZeneca to talk mm -hmm. about something that's in Europe or Johnson Johnson? What do they mean? Hmm. So I think uh, the aesthetic stuff, you say bet, the better comes in because, again, it's an element of craftsmanship, right? But with the water, I don't know. With the vaccine, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with, like, 
practical components, such as the consequences, the potential risks and rewards, those kinds of things. And I think that I'm wondering if I'm wondering if there is a relationship between the aesthetic one and this ones. And what I mean is this. Hmm. Let's say that when we say that one water is better than the other or that one vaccine is better than the other, that what we mean is that in the long run, one will benefit you more than the other, right? Oh, okay, okay. And then I'm wondering if the same thing goes with the aesthetic claims, right? Mm. So let's say that at the end of the day, I'm trying to tell you when I say that Mozart is better than Bieber, that listening to Mozart will have eventually more benefits for you and your life than would have listening to Bieber. Very interesting. Because if we say that, then we can we can talk, right? Now, why would be that yeah. one has more benefit than the other? That's a different story, right? Yeah. But maybe that's what it is. What we really should say that you know, hey, listen, if you listen to Mozart, you'll learn to appreciate more complex stuff. Mm. So if you like Mozart, you can still like Bieber, and maybe you like other other musical stuff because of Mozart, right? Because now your mind is open, or you know, to make it practical, right? If you're listening to Mozart. Your brain gets stimulated in a specific way that will benefit you uh, to the point that it's you have a less risk to get Alzheimer's, for example, right? Mm. Well, if you listen to people, you, there are not benefits to that. <laughs> uh, just you know, yeah, I, I'm thinking in those terms. Maybe that's that's the way to go with that, right? Yeah, I think I think at the te- like the foundation of all these is probably some value <laughs> about a. <laughs> one intellectual state over another intellectual state, right? And so you're saying these things, I mean, and it could be fill in the blank, intellectual state, biological state, like whatever state. Um, so relative to those things, I suppose you are, you're making that statement. Um, Think of the Republic, right? Yeah. Think of Plato says, well, yeah. some music styles or some poetry, it's better than others. Yeah. And, because this will benefit society, right? Right, that like has the marching and the, yeah. you know, the, the, the war. And as crazy as it sounds what he's saying today, but there is something to it, right? There mm-hmm. are certain things that are more beneficial to people that are better mm-hmm. for the individual or society, right? Mm-hmm. We might not like it, right. some yes, of them, yes. but, but there are things that make, you know, a society more orderly, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't always want to have that, right? <laughs> but it is. It is. I, I think there is a way in which we can make, we can go beyond the, the taste preference and say this is better because of this. And I wonder if there's also, though, uh, like a biological basis for some of this, right? Because if you look, I don't know too much about this, but I was watching some stuff recently about this, that if you go, you know, in different cultures, you will find like similar intervals similar combinations and patterns yeah. and it's like oh well if that's appearing in every human enterprise where there's music then maybe there's something there in being human that makes those things appealing and yeah and objectively we, good quote unquote we go back to the intersubjective stuff right yes and uh yeah i'm thinking some things are there because and some things we see because just the way we're made right mm-hmm. um some frequencies stimulate some things rather than others, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, some specific tempo, right? It's We associate with something rather than another. 
And some of these things are, again, I call it historical, right? Right, Because human beings have developed within that frame, within mm-hmm. that thing. And maybe that's that's what it is. That's what's happening there. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering also, so when we think about this this subjective taste stuff, right? Again, I want to go back to, to the very beginning of the first episode. Um, so I'm thinking we are giving uh, almost... We're not even giving a thought to the fact that this subjective stuff, again, assumes that there is a specific subject. A separate, you did mention that, yes. That is separate from everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, without getting too much into the specific of subjectivity, which may... We, oh, in the sense of being the, of the subject, right? Uh, because maybe we can we can do an episode on that as well. I'm wondering, what does that mean, right? That we are assuming that each one of us is this iceberg, this individual, mm. this separate entity that adds this black box, as I was describing it before, that adds a specific feedback to things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that even possible to think that way? Or is that... Because, again, I'm thinking from one side we're saying that there's this intersubjective world that we all share, that we all are part of it. And then we're saying, well, but I can plug off of this and have my own things. Mm. And how does that work? Well, I suppose what you might say is there's no such thing as an absolute distinction. Right? There's no such thing as an object that is 0% related to a subject, and there's also no such thing as a subject that's 0% related to the object. Because the subject is what it is only in relation to some kind of or set of objects. Now, what that relation is, I don't know, but there's definitely... What I would say is... So when I was... um. I was at Montclair. Dr. Kogan used to do this thing. He would he would pick up a, a a pencil, and he would say, "There's a distinction between the subject and the object, but they're not separable. Like how you have one end of the pencil and the other end of the pencil. You can make a distinction between them, but they always co-occur. And you could do certain things or think about certain things that lean more or less in one of the directions, but at the end of the day." You know, they, they co-occur in some sense. And I'm wondering if, if that's true, right? Uh, which seems reasonable to me. I'm wondering if that means that at the end of the day, we are making the distinction, right? That the distinction, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's not there because in order mm-hmm. for us to make the distinction, there needs to be, it's like, you know, you know when you open the packages and there are the pre, um, what can we call, pre-cut stuff that you just pull up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think that, uh, it is possible for us to make a distinction because there are the markings there to make the distinction. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if this distinction is, I'm going to use a word that you don't like, constructed mm-hmm. rather than anything else, which again, doesn't mean invented. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I st- and this is why I think this is why Husserl uses the term constituted. Yeah. Um, so in other words, you're saying, the conditions for the possibility of us doing this are already there, but us actually doing the thing is like an extra step that's not already there. Exactly. And in that case, I'm wondering if this partially undermines the distinction that we made in the beginning, or rather, if this doesn't, shouldn't urge us to be more precise, right? Mm. Uh, because I think that 
talking about objectivity and subjectivity might given people the idea, even though we try to avoid that, uh, given the idea that these two things are absolutely separate, right? Right. But in reality, we are the more we talk about this, the more we seem to be drawn to the fact that we really use these terms just to understand each other. Mm-hmm. But these two things are in nature, let's say, yes. never exist in separate states. Yeah, and I think that's an issue of like many things. Yes. Um, we, ju- we, we can still make the distinctions, but the distinctions are different from like the ordinary everyday starting point understanding of the things. Yeah. So, and in addition to the distinction... Well, the things mean something slightly different or radically different from the everyday usage, but also our understanding of what a distinction is is also different, I think, than the everyday ordinary understanding of what it means to be a distinction. Yes. Right? Yes, yes absolutely. So it's there, but it's not there in a sense. Yeah, and I, and again, this is important, right? Because at the end of the day, that tells us that aside from it's we, we talked about this i think was the last episode like not last episode i mean we're talking about the pre-socratics i think that the issue is sometimes given by our language right mm. it apostatizes stuff yes and i think that that's the case in this situation as well because i want to say but i know how this is going to be perceived right that at the end of the day that nothing is objective and nothing is subjective right Mm. But the moment I say that, then there's somebody that can interpret it like, oh, then everything is absolutely arbitrary, right? Right. Well, I think the thing that that made that claim interesting is you said both. You didn't just say nothing's objective. You also said nothing's subjective. Yeah, which means that everything is this co-meddling stuff, right? Yeah. Of, of, to the very least inputs and outputs together i'm trying to find the most generic terms that yeah, i can use tough. because i think that if we put it in terms of signals that's probably the most generic thing there's there are inputs there are outputs there there's things floating around but it's just the same way and i'm sure i don't know how many people have tried to plug in stuff mm-hmm. behind the tv like you used to do right uh, or if you want to connect extra speakers right mm-hmm. to something and some things are the input, some things are the outputs, and sometimes you, depending on how big it is, you're just doing it from behind so you can already see it. You're not sure which one it is, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is the situation in which we're at with objective and subjective. Some things we don't know which one is which. Is it this This makes sense. Um, and, and we've talked about taste in, in different ways, sometimes aesthetic, sometimes not. Um, but we talked in the beginning of the episode about science and i'm wondering if now that we've carefully articulated through this mess we can kind of go back do that in a in a, in a better way yeah definitely so if what we say is true or at least if if the explanation that we're given clarifies something mm-hmm. i think that the first thing that there are two things that go away, one in the subjective realm and one in the objective realm. In the objective realm, the things that goes away immediately is this idea that there are some things that are, can be considered absolutely uh, certain and objective mm-hmm. independently from the framework 
and the domain which mm-hmm. they're established, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that we're putting a, a hard limitation, we can say, to those things, to, to yes. factual statements. But yes, and I think it's, I absolutely agree. But that is not to say that that means you can be outside of that framework and there is arbitrariness. So, for example, um, if I am riding a skateboard, right, and I'm about to try something on some ramp, right, I go up and do some crazy thing. If I don't get it, I'm going to fall, right? I'm going to yeah. hit the pavement. I'm going to hit the ramp. And that's going to happen. Like So it's it's not as if you saying things are relative to rules means that we can escape those rules. That's no. all I mean to say. Okay. Because I agree with what you're saying it in this way. Yeah. Uh, yes. I want, yeah, there's no way that you're not going to fall, right? If you fall, you fall, right? Of course. That's, right, right. That's, or if I take the, the, the axe and I, and I cut off my arm, it's like my arm's cut off. Yes. There's nothing you, I can do about gonna that. You're going to bleed. There's a bunch of things that are going to happen because of that. Absolutely. When I, again, when we talk about rules and domains, it, we need to understand that those things are some of them are up to us, right? Mm-hmm. The, let's say the way we analyze, the way we call and analyze uh, the blood that comes out of your arm, that's very specific to a very specific domain. So a chemist will look at it in a specific way, a biologist another way. Uh, there are different domains, and they sometimes they, they, they are mutually communicating. Sometimes they're not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain rules that we don't choose, let's put it this way. Mm. That they have to do again with this fact that we are in a specific relation with each other uh, and with our surroundings, assuming that there's those two things are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is something there that that it's not there's not a choice. I think that that is the other thing that we probably mean to stress. Mm-hmm. We need to stress, right? That's a good point. There is a difference between things being subjective right or intersubjective and being a choice that i can make very good distinction these are two different things right some things might still be not objective factual in the wrong way of saying them right Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make them a choice yeah i mean literally subjective like in relation to the subject that's all it means yes it doesn't have to mean exactly exactly and if we and again, I'm going. I'm going to muddle the water here a little bit. Okay. I'm going to muddy the water a little bit here. I think that if we make this distinction correctly, there is a way of saying that there are. There's no things that are objective. Everything is intersubjective. Mm-hmm. There are some things that are private, mm-hmm. and then there are some things that are choices. Okay. So th- probably these three things are the things that the real way to look at things, right? Mm-hmm. So this means that we get away from the objective stuff, which is too compromised of a word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at that point, at this point, right? And we can say that there are certain things that are intersubjective that we all share because, again, of our perceptive, well, uh, conceptual and way in which we, we, we relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And in the space of the relation, he happens to be uh, whatever there is, to, we call them the environment, if we want to call it. I, I have a little bit of a vicious to call it. To World, consider. maybe? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but no, we'll see. Okay. Um, 
And then there are things that are private, right? Which are those things, the specific relation that you have with something because of the way you are specifically, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're colorblind, right? So while there is a shared space uh, with colors, for example, right? Mm -hmm. we, this is black, this is blue, this is... And you know the differences there as well. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to red and green, you have your private take on that because mm -hmm. of the specific way you are made. And then finally, you there are things that are choices. Mm -hmm. And this is to do with you make a conscious decision of interacting with something one way rather than the other. Mm -hmm. And this is this is this could be otherwise. While once you're colorblind, it cannot be otherwise. This is the way you're gonna see red. So where is preference green. for you in that choice? It's, or is it and you can't control? Well, that depends on what we're talking about, right? Depends on what preference we're talking about. Like I think ice cream. Well, I think that that might be actually in the private realm. In this, the middle one? Yes. Okay. But I think when I think of choice, I think of acting upon something based on ah, okay. my decision. Like I want to become part of this organization. Yes. Okay. Or I actively choose to enroll in a party. Or Got it. You know, major in philosophy rather than something else. Or I consciously choose not to eat meat because of mm. the specific take that I have got on it, something. It. it could be otherwise, right? Therefore, choice. And it implies for me to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, while the ice cream, I don't know. I don't think I can. Well, I can make myself like something, sure. Mm-hmm. But there is, if we're talking about prima facie preferences, right, right? right? That will be that there's no control over it. Right? Okay. I always say when I started smoking cigarettes quite some time ago before I quit, I didn't freaking like the cigarettes the first time I tasted. It tasted horrible, <laughs> right? Uh, but then I made myself like that. Yeah. Um, that's rough I, I got made to smoke a cigarette when I was seven oh. by my older cousin because she was like the cool okay. older cousin um, and we were you know trashy people in the city so she was like oh yeah try the cigarette and I was like alright and I just, just died immediately after so to imagine liking that definitely takes some work Yeah, but and also certain pieces of art true I'm not calling cigarettes artwork no I know what you're saying but in that case but I think that when we move away from the immediate uh, reaction that your body has almost towards mm -hmm. something, then it becomes a choice, right? Because then you're you're doing something in order for you to like that. Yes. And that's the, the action aspect of which I was talking about, right? It's like you, liking spicy food. Exactly. It's making you, me cry. Exactly. And But I do this until I build up my, my resistance to that because I like, mm. uh, I want to like that, right? But your body, your body's saying, no, don't do that. And so that's like the truest expression of, of your subjectivity, right? Exactly. Like I am taking a stand on these things. Exactly. That's, yeah. Despite all the walls in my presence. Exactly. And this is why choices, the, so the, the third one, it's probably the closest thing to pure subjectivity, mm. we will call it. Right. Instead, the, the intersubjective stuff is the closest thing to this thing that we call objectivity. I think that at the end of the day, these two things are two ideals. Mm -hmm. The stand, we can say, opposite to each other. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, um, 
it's almost like Aristotle, right? When he talks about matter and substance, form. Yeah, yeah. Right? These are what the Aristotle, what does he say? Well, those things exist. They're separable in our head, but they never occur separate in reality. The hylomorphism. Exactly. So maybe that's what it is. These two things, objectivity and subjectivity, are, um, can we say, are almost um, concepts Mm -hmm. that we use but they never occur in their pure form. Yes, it's like the pencil. Yeah. Right? Distinct but concurrent. So, okay. And I'm wondering if, well, again, that means that neither of these things really exist. Yeah, definitely not in in the typical way that one would think about this. Yes. And so you were saying before about science, you were saying when we clarify these things, it, it, it... results in an issue for objectivity and an issue for subjectivity. And you had mentioned the first one, and I kind of like pushed in this direction, and I'm wondering what the... For the subjectivity stuff. Yes. Well, the problem with subjectivity is that the moment you you get uh, into the... The moment you start doubting, quote-unquote, right, Uh, the the pure objectivity of the science and things like that, Mm -hmm. immediately, almost naturally people tend to develop this ego Mm. and say, well, then that means and that has to mean that I account for more than what I thought when it comes to making these decisions, right? When it comes to making this this science what it is. What would be an example of that? I'm thinking that that all of a sudden people start, well, first of all, conspiracy theories are an example of that. So I can build my own system as long as there are coherent you know, some sort of stuff around it. Yeah. Right? And, and even if, if you go in the ultimate, like, ego route, it's they don't even have to be coherent. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, that's, like, yeah, coherence is a value that can be doubt, right? Yes. But at the end of the day, I think that most people will say, well, you know what? The science thing has to do with simply following certain rules, you know, building some sort of foundation, then everything that goes in there is absolutely the way I want it. Mm-hmm. So they can build up systems that are coherent, follow specific rules, mm-hmm. and people might think, okay, that's enough. That's intersubjective, right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, this seems to be uh, seems to be enough for me to to call this science or to call this mm-hmm. an objective or intersubjective system, right? Okay. And I wonder how we make the distinction there. How do we uh, how do we do that? Is it possible to say, because I'm thinking, you know, let's look at this from from a neutral perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Before we we assume that something is um, in a conspiracy theory or not, right? Mm-hmm. What are the characteristics of this thing? A conspiracy theory, in order to be such and to gain steam, right, there needs to be a certain amount of people to subscribe to it, right? Mm-hmm. So it becomes, it seems, people might think that this means that that's intersubjective at that point. Uh, like, right. Yeah. So that's important. To, when we say intersubjective, we don't mean a bunch of people agree on something. Exactly. We right. mean that there are certain facets, facets to subjecthood itself that cannot be escaped by anyone. Exactly. It's not a conscious choice. It's like, what would be an example? Uh, like, you cannot choose to not see things through the law of non-contradiction 
or exactly. something like that, right? Like, exactly. It's not something we agree on. That's just, nope, insofar as you are a human subject, there are rules of your conscious window, so to speak, that are just built into you. And so that should immediately close the door to anything like just a bunch of people agreeing on something. Right, right. But isn't that also biology? Or chemistry? Is, is what biology or chemistry? It isn't just a bunch of people, the scientific community, agreeing on something? Oh, you're doing this to me. Um, I, I, I have to. <laughs> I would say, here's my specific way of, of talking about biology and chemistry. To be, to be clear, I don't believe that <laughs> chemistry and biology are conspiracy theories, right? Yes, that's good. Um, I would say probably something like... There are a couple of things. One of the things is... The thing I said at the, at the the philosophy of science panel two years ago, mm-hmm. which is that science is objective, but not in the way it thinks it's objective. It's objective in the way we're saying it's objective relative to a specific domain, right? So what's science, the dominant view might be some kind of direct realist view or something. Some of them mm-hmm. are indirect realist, but is that we are giving something like a god's eye view of the universe in itself right yes. and i would say it doesn't do that it's objective in the sense that within this empirical phenomenal framework it's giving a certain kind of description and i don't think it's people's opinions okay i don't course. think it's preference or arbitrary like i said if i cut off my arm my arm's gone. If I stop breathing, I die, right? So I would say those things are objective within a specific domain, right? Within a specific box. Um, and my whole like argument at that was that I think philosophy by definition is more objective just because its box is bigger, right? Because it's not mm-hmm. limited to that uh, – the box of empiricism. It has a larger domain. It has a larger domain. It has all these different metaphysical and epistemological possibilities that the hard sciences are not even considering. So I think both philosophy and science are objective. They're just objective relative to different boxes. Right? So I, what I'm hearing is you think that the difference between, again, um, chemistry and X conspiracy theory is the fact that chemistry is anchored, we can say, mm-hmm. into this these things that make us who we are as human, and mm. it's inescapable if we just look. It's like the way in which we have to reason about something, and, and it's something that can be repeatedly verified. Yes, whereas something like lizard people. You know, these people claim, yeah, people will claim that, that it's verified, right? You look at the video and you're like, oh, their tongue did a weird thing. Yeah. That That's not <laughs> the same thing, right? Like it's not because, yes, there's an element to the sciences that are based on, you know, contingency, let's say. And absolutely predictions about the future that are presented in an absolute sense that it cannot truthfully make. However... Like, we can perform experiments and we see things. We see that things interact in certain ways. Different things cause different things, right? And we can repeat these things. So here's the other thing I would say about science. The one thing is that it's objective within a specific box. 
which is to say that it's not objective in other boxes. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is something like the actualities that it studies are objectively real. And the things it uncovers about the... What does that mean, though? I, I got to stop you. <laughs> okay. Um, so let me, let me finish the thought yeah, and then I'll yeah, explain. Yeah. So I'd say the actualities that it studies are real. The things it uncovers about the actualities are true, at least in some sense. But the way it chooses to symbolically represent the actualities and things uncovered about the actualities, that's the arbitrary part. Okay. So the fact, I'll to give a basic example, that there is blood flowing through my veins, that if I remove my blood, I will die. Those are the actualities studied and the relations studied that are both there and true. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I call it blood, the fact that I say, you know, there's five parts, maybe that, that part's real, but I label them in specific ways. Mm -hmm. I choose to organize the system in a specific way. That's the part. So the difference is the actuality is the thing and the characteristics of the thing versus like the, uh, the linguistic choices, the mm. conceptual choices. I guess that's what I meant. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to rewind. One more thing. <laughs> Go ahead. Presentation versus representation. Yeah. So I yeah. would say the presentation is the actual um, and the things about the presentation are the actual, but the particular mode of representation, at least, are, at least the higher level ones, are more okay. contingent. So this implies two things, I think. Maybe we can start from here. <clears throat> the implication is these two things are always distinguishable and that they are, well, they're distinguishable and clearly distinguishable, right? And it's possible to at least to have one without the other, right? Representation and presentation, you're, you're distinguishing them. That's you're, we're saying that, right? That there's a presentation and representation part. I'm wondering if it's possible to have one without the other, or at least to truly distinguish mm. to a T where the difference is between the two, because I don't know if that's possible. And I, I, I should premise that, that in general, I, I understand what you're saying, and for the most part, I agree with it. I just have the my problem has always been this problem of demarcation, right? Yes. So where do we where do we stop, right? Where mm. where does the presentation ends and the representation begins? Because I think that because of the way we are, because of the all intersubjective thing that we said works the way it works, it is it's a strong word, but I think it's impossible to make that cut. Mm. To make that clean cut. Could you think you can make the cut in general? Um, if it, even if it's not perfect, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. It, it, so, at the very least, mm -hmm. the cut is not going to be the cleanest cut at all. Okay. It's very, very difficult. And when I think this comes, my my issue with this come from what you said before. You were saying that there is something that is that is real. Mm -hmm. And I think that that specific word carries a baggage that almost seems that you're saying that this exists beyond the intersubjective stuff. And I, I don't, don't know. I don't mean to say that if that's what it sounded that's, like. That's and then you're saying that those things are true. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that. So with reality, 
I mean, we can put air quotes on it. We can put quotes on it and we can adjust. We can say that, well, by reality, I mean this intersubjective thing that we're describing, and that's okay. They'll satisfy the, the issue there. Mm -hmm. And when you say those things are true, I would say instead that they strive to be true mm -hmm. rather than being true. Mm. That they try to approximate this thing that we call truth. But I don't think that... I don't think that they they that we can call them true with capital T necessarily, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if these two things are there, then it becomes evident to me that the difference between presentation and representation mm -hmm. it's a very tricky one. So maybe what I would say is something like when I say the actuality, I mean the phenomenal actuality. Okay. Right? I mean the actuality of the intersubjectively shared presence, whatever mm -hmm. you want to talk about that like. Um, and the characteristics of that actuality, right? That's whereas the representation, I guess I would say, is and if you want to be really particular, I might even call it a re re presentation. Okay. Right, because the representation already happens prior to the like conscious construction of the system mm -hmm. of symbols. Um, so it's a it's you know Nietzsche a metaphor a metaphor a metaphor. Um, so I guess let me think of a basic example. Let's say we're sitting outside right now, okay, and we're looking at a tree, mm -hmm. right, and it's an apple tree, and then we watch it falls to the ground, and then we watch that happened um, and when the apple hits the ground there happens to be some water on the grass and like all oh, the water jumps or something like that and then the water hits an animal and the animal runs mm -hmm. the ha there's all the happenings mm -hmm. right that's the part that I mean to say that is real that mm -hmm. is objectively real and I would say are noticing that that happening involves repeatable patterns is also real but then the part that becomes, quote-unquote, arbitrary or contingent is when we explain it using certain symbols. So we say, oh, so that was an apple tree, which is a class of this butta butta ba, and then the apple fell because of this thing called gravity, which works in relation to this thing called okay. weight, which fell onto the water with a certain viscosity and blah, 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 which bounced up in fear and the animal. So that's, in other words, I think... When I say representation, or as I said to be more precise, re-representation, I mean the symbols, the symbolic aspect of science is the, you know... The, the arbitrary part. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, everything else is not, right? All the other things, they're... Yes. Presenting themselves. I guess the simplest us. way is to say, um, you know, the, the indicator, mm -hmm. right? Versus the indicated. Yeah. And I'm wondering if we can describe those, this, um, what do you call reality before, the actuality, as mm -hmm. we're saying now, as something that, again, to go with the distinction that we made before, those things are the things that we have no choice yes. and no business into them. Yes. That they happen independently from our will. Mm -hmm. And maybe... So if we use this term, 
we can say that what we call objective, what we call actuality, are all those things that are happening independently from our will. Mm. So the presentation and the representation, but not the re-representation. Correct. But at that point, that means, though, better, that does not mean that those things happen in a specific way. They That those things will happen in that specific way if we were not there. That's right, because those things as such might not even be there. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So if that's that means that there is some sort of participation of the subject absolutely in the event in the happening in reality right mm-hmm. the subject needs to be there in order for these things to happen the way they did or to happen at all yes but that doesn't imply that i chose for the apple to fall that way and such and such yes because it is subjective meaning in relation to hu- subjecthood itself which is exactly. an intersubjectively shared thing not a personally subjective thing exactly so yeah. which means though that that famous cut that we were trying to make right mm-hmm. actually it cannot be made at all between the object in itself and the subject because these two things need to be there in order to exist to yes. exist both of them as such exactly which means that if we can make the cut we can make only the cut mm. towards what towards I speak English, you speak Italian. Mm-hmm. There's two differences there. And, of course, certain things are called in a specific way in English and a different way in Italian. Mm-hmm. And this is absolutely arbitrary, meaning that I can choose to learn another language and so on and so on. Yes, yes. Uh, which is radically different, I want to say, from the definition of from which we started at the beginning, the, the common way of looking at object. Oh, it's so much more. <laughs> it's so much more specific and this is kind of an issue i have like with some i guess like analytic philosophers yeah um (laughs) so sometimes so i guess this the fancy term for what we'd be talking about would be something like anti-realism what we what we are saying it is yes yes some form of that yeah my problem is that when a lot of philosophers talk about anti-realism. They say that it means you have to let go of objectivity and correspondence. And I totally disagree because we're saying, no, no, no. You just have to think of objectivity and correspondence in a different way. Of course, there's still some base and some relation between your statements and the base. And I think that this is the reason why some philosophers in the beginning of the 2000s, and now it's almost mainstream, I want to say, mm-hmm they have used a different term, which is new realism, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To describe the difference between realism and this let go of everything. uh, It's a terrible term, too. Like, anti-realism. Like, by by labeling someone as that, right, that has a negative connotation. I I don't know what I would call it. I would call it something like phenomenal realism. So they're they're calling it new realism, and it's like Karen Barad is one of those people, and... The old, uh, I want to say that even the the, the object-oriented ontology mm-hmm. is a form of new realism because they're not denying the existence of things; they're just talking about mm-hmm. different ways. Um, but it but it is interesting, and I think if we had succeeded at least up to now, 
some people must be confused because now all, <laughs> all of a sudden we're saying, hey, look. They're objectively confused. Uh, what we're saying is like, look, here's the thing. You know what? There's no object without a subject. There's no subject without an object. These two things, in order to exist, need each other, which means that the only thing that exists is the relation between these two things. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the step forward, uh, which some people are not willing to make or to take, while others are, is that on that level, again, once we have explained that this is nothing to do with choice, mm-hmm. is there really a difference between subjects and objects? Mm. Is there really a true difference that I can make and say, in other words, am I not part of this bottle somehow? And is this bottle at least part of me mm. because of this thing that I need in order to exist? Is there a way in which... So let's put it this way. If I cannot exist without this bottle, mm-hmm. isn't this bottle part of my existence and of me as well? Mm. Yeah, I think what I would land on is something like there is no distinction between the traditional notion, the traditional oversimplified notion of subject and object. Because upon very close logical metaphysical analysis, we we wind up having to reformulate the meanings, the purpose, and the reference of all of those things. So I would say there is a distinction, but it's not the distinction traditionally thought of. That's that's where I land. Okay. Okay. And, and, And also I would go so far as to say I don't believe genuinely that anyone thinks there's not a distinction okay because even when you say like oh the bottle's part of me that's still you're acknowledging a a distinction between Uh, i know what you're saying but i think that that is that is re-representation right representation right meaning that we have to say it this way to understand each other it's like listen i can speak about my arm Mm mm-hmm and I can talk about my arm like it wasn't me, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that's not me, right? It is part of me. So mm-hmm. I can talk about the bottle and make a distinction, but it doesn't mean that in reality it's part of me. So I think that we probably agree like 90% on the framework. Absolutely. The interesting distinctions, not that, not that none of this was interesting, <laughs> but the interesting distinctions might happen when we start to get into the specifics of where that line yes. happens. Yes, and I... You know, this I've been, I'm inclined to say things like this sounds like super radical, but then at the end of the day, it might be less radical than what they are. Like, there is no such thing as a subject. Right, right. Or, or the counter could be there is no such thing as an object. Right. And you don't mean that. No, I don't yes, mean that. In the way. In the way that we've been saying, but rather is what we're talking about that these two yeah. things don't really exist on their own. So, this is good. I mean, I feel like. The alternate name of this episode or that episode in the future would be, to quote more Radiohead, where I end and you begin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But this was very interesting to me. Yep. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, super, super, super complex. Yeah. And hopefully we did a decent job and at, you know, getting into the weeds of this. And, and so, I think very important, too, because it's kind of the foundation for perception, knowledge, Everything, science, yeah. reason. And even disagreement and yes disagreement within conversations and, and yeah. things like that i think that 
that's important. I think the piece of advice I would leave is when you have a conversation, especially about these things, but about everything, always say, what do you mean when you use that word? Because I always say to my classes, like 90% are just... uh, disagreements just verbal disputes because you mean one thing when you say this term i think another thing and so there's this like as if illusory disagreement when we're just talking past one another so i think this kind of thing though maybe it seems pedantic is actually really essential absolutely and i not only would agree with that but i would say i would advise the opposite as well Sometimes you think you're in agreement with somebody. Mm. This happens in my classes all the time. You ask something, you're like, oh, of course, this is the way it is. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we start talking about it. They're like, no, but I didn't mean that. (laughs) Uh, And I think sometimes because of the way we we talk to each other, we have sometimes the impression that we are agreeing on something while instead we're not. Mm -hmm. And it makes it even more important to ask, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Exactly, because the words... The symbols, yeah, a little bit arbitrary, yeah, so we don't have exactly. the same associations. Exactly, exactly. Don't forget to send us questions for the episode. Yes, definitely uh, send us whatever questions you have about anything we have ever talked about or that we have not talked about so we can uh, have some fun with this um, and let us know if you're interested in the walk. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see you there. Yep, see you guys around. Bye. Bye.